does a fish know how wet the water is? Does a fish know how wet the water is? No. No. Let's pray. Lord, come with Holy Spirit presence and power. Lord, I need you today. We need you today. Lord, thank you for your kindness, your love and gracious, gracious mercy. Thank you for being so slow to anger. Lord, meet us today. I pray in your holy name. Amen. A fish does not know how wet the water is because it is his environment. It's what is normal for him. He's not surprised by the water's wetness. It's where he lives. It surrounds him. It sustains him. Take him out of the water and he flops like a fish, right? And as quickly as possible, he wants to get back in the water because that's where his life is. We were born in sin. How evil is sin? We have no concept because it's our natural environment. We were born into sin. All we've known is sin. It's the environment where we feel safe. It's the environment that satisfies the desires of the flesh. It is utterly wicked and evil. Sin is such an offense against a righteous God. And every man deserves to die. Not one of us in this room deserves life. Is God unjust for casting us into hell? Never. We all deserve to go to hell. It is our natural environment. It is the result of a just and righteous God who says, I can't stand this anymore. It has to end. And so he casts us into the fire of hell to purify his earth of this wetness. You have to tell a child you have to tell a child that they're allowed to hit another child. No, we tell them they're not allowed to hit. Do we tell a child, oh, you're free to lie? No, are you kidding me? They lie naturally. You get in trouble. What am I going to do? Am I going to tell mommy and daddy what I've done? Are you kidding me? I'm going to concoct some lie. I'm going to protect myself. 
No, we don't tell a child, grow up and hate somebody. Hate is as natural to the human heart as water is to a fish. And until we recognize the natural environment of our heart and recognize that hell is a natural part of that condition, that God is going to send every man and every woman, every boy and every girl into the fire of hell to cleanse his kingdom. We have to come to terms with what is natural to us and finally say, okay, it's enough. I'm going to be transformed and moved into a new environment. And in that new environment, I'm not going to lust. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to hate. It's an environment of love and joy and peace. It's a new environment. I'm a new man in that new place. But take a man out of the sin and put him in that new environment, and he's going to flop around like a fish out of water. And he's going to quickly slip back into that drinking and drugging and everything else that goes with the world and the flesh and the devil, because that's all he's ever known. How many of you have flipped and flopped? I have. It's the natural way we have of becoming comfortable, of taking the drug, of listening to the devil who is our father, until finally we say, I have a new father. I have a new environment. I have a new place to dwell. And this is called, in Pilgrim's Progress, and in many places in Scripture, a pilgrimage, a journey. It is a journey from an environment of sin. It is a journey where we are converted and transformed into a new creature. And then the devil comes against us in the valley of the shadow of death. He comes against us in every possible way to dissuade us from our decision and to get us back into the water. And all of this is self-selecting. We decide. We make the choice. And we all will stand before the judgment of God. We will stand before that judgment bar. And God will judge us based on what we have done and what we have said and on whether we love the devil or we love Jesus. The judgment bar is self-selecting. You will only be granted that which you have already acted on. And if you are still a part of that old environment of water, he will cast you back into the water and into hell. Now, there's a story in the scripture of a man flip-flopping who finally made the decision to go back to his sin. It's a terrifying story. 
It comes in line in the scripture right after Stephen is slain as a martyr with Jesus standing up. I want Jesus to stand up for me. Stephen dies a martyr's death and the hand of the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities come down on that Jerusalem church and men and women are fleeing in every direction to get away from the persecution. And Philip goes into Samaria, a pagan nation north of Jerusalem. Between Galilee and Jerusalem, there is Samaria. Remember the woman at the well. Philip goes there and begins to preach the gospel, and signs and wonders accompany the preaching. We find it in the book of Acts, in the eighth chapter. Philip preaches Jesus Christ. He preaches a new life. He preaches a transformation from the wetness of sin into the glorious presence of Jesus, the risen Lord. Now, there is a man, a certain man, Simon by name, in verse 9. This is Acts 8, verse 9. He was somebody. And which of us has not desired to be somebody? Part of the characteristic of the wetness of sin is the desire to be somebody. This is one of the chief hooks that Satan uses to grab a man or a woman. A rising up in the spirit that says, you can't talk to me like that. You can't treat me that way. I'm somebody. He caused people to recognize him because he had quick hands with magic. No doubt he had a demonic presence that accompanied him. Everybody said, this man is the great power of God. He was really something. They, everyone paid attention to him. He'd come and he was the center of the party. All eyes were on him. But then came Philip preaching. And as Philip preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, people took their eyes off the falseness of magic and they began to fix their eyes on heaven and on a new life in Christ. He came preaching the kingdom of God and he he did so in the name of Jesus Christ. Men and women were baptized. They started new lives. Simon could not help a man start a new life. All he could do is some entertainment, some magic. The devil can't help you start a new life. 
Only God can help you start a new life. There's only new life outside of the realm of this wetness of sin. The realm of sin cannot transform a man into a righteous man. The only way out of this wetness environment of sin is to die and be born from above and become a new creature and live in a new realm, a spirit realm. So Simon believed on this Jesus and said, now this Jesus is somebody. And I need to align myself with this Jesus because I want what he has. He can change a man. He can do amazing things. I think I see room for a profit margin here. He saw the signs and wonders. He saw the miracles and they exceeded his power in magic. Now the apostles did not flee the persecution. They risked their lives remaining in Jerusalem. Remember James, the brother of John, was executed. He was beheaded by Herod. They were all in grave danger of losing their lives, but they did not flee. They had a ministry. They had a mission. They were sent to Jerusalem. They were to stay there until they were sent out to the world. Later, all of those apostles would be sent out around the world. Barnabas to India, where he would die a martyr's death. Peter, where he would be crucified with his wife. He would die on a cross upside down. All of the apostles except John died a martyr's death. I want you to let that sink in. Don't just say, yes, that's true. Let that sink in. Are you willing to die a martyr's death in the realm of the sin because you have been transferred into the realm of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to die for that? Are you willing to die instead of get mad? Are you willing to die instead of follow your lust? Is Jesus worth dying for? If Jesus is not worth dying for, you are not a Christian. To be a Christian means to be a Christ follower. Christ went to the cross. He died for us. We too must be willing to go to the cross and physically die for Jesus. As you can see in the smallness of our little fellowship, I am not here for wealth or fame or recognition. I am here for Jesus. This is about Jesus. And if we in this little fellowship are not able to make the transition into the realm of light and totally leave the darkness behind, 
what chance is there for anyone else to ever make that transition because of our ministry to them? If we can't minister to each other in a way that sustains us and prevents us from going back to the realm of darkness, what hope is there for anyone? I want you to clearly see the gospel of Jesus Christ calls for a radicalized people who will die for the gospel of Jesus Christ and lay aside all personal interest in the realm of the wetness of the environment of sin. Now, Simon, he sees this laying on of hands because the church in Jerusalem, they hear about Samaria and they hear about Philip. And so they send the biggest guns available. They send Peter and John. You remember, Peter is a rough fisherman and John is also a rough fisherman. He is called a son of thunder. He was an angry man, but now both have been transformed. They have left the realm of darkness. They are now in the realm of the spirit, and they've been blessed with great power and wisdom and authority. This is the blessing we must have. And they go to shore up the work and make sure that the work that Philip has done is not lost. And so they begin to talk to them about receiving the Spirit. No one has yet received the Spirit. They've only heard the preaching about Jesus and leaving sin and being transformed into new creatures. And now they're hearing about moving in the Spirit and in the power of the Spirit. And Simon says, wow, I want that. If I was good as a magician, I can be even better in the power of the Spirit. So he offers Peter money for the power of the Spirit. He said, you give me this authority also that on whom I may lay the hand, he may be receiving the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought to obtain the gift of God with money. There is to you neither part nor share in this matter. In other words, you don't share in this gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey guys, he's a baptized believer. Wake our brother up. I don't want some fish to fly in his mouth. Now hear this, please. Hear this, please. Simon is a baptized believer in Jesus Christ. But Peter now is confronting his behavior. And he says, your heart is not right in the sight of God. It is possible to be a professed believer in Jesus, baptized, attending the church, and your heart not be right before God. 
He says, therefore, verse 22, you must repent because of this wickedness of yours and pray, God, if perhaps the intent of your heart will be removed for you. So here is a man who's been baptized, who says he's a Christ follower, but the intent of his heart is not right. He's in it for what he can get, not what he can give. And on that simple line of separation, I ask you today to look carefully at your heart. Are you following Jesus Christ for what you can get? Or are you following Jesus Christ for what you can give? Have you entered into this gospel of Jesus Christ to be transformed into a person who is giving to others the good news of the gospel and helping them become set free from their sin? Or are you seeking the gospel of Jesus Christ for what you can get? or how you can have an advantage. He says in verse 23, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Let's speak briefly about what the gall of bitterness means. It's a Hebrewism. For the Hebrew mind, he would speak of poison as a bitter. Now sometimes a bitter could be medicine to kill the infection in the body. But if given too much, it would kill the body. So a bitter is a poison. It's being doubled down on by the gall. Gall is always in the Hebrew something Bitter. It is a double word. It is, he's saying, in your heart, I see that you are angry. That you have never gotten what you wanted. That you've always wanted something of recognition. You've always wanted to be somebody. You've always wanted to be more than you are, and you've used every avenue to try to figure out how to make that happen, and you've never been able to make it happen, so you are angry. You have poison in your system, and now it comes out against other people. It comes out against yourself. And you are in the bond of iniquity. Now, a Roman soldier would take a prisoner, he'd put an iron manacle on his right wrist, the prisoner's right wrist, and a short chain to the soldier's left arm. It was never to the soldier's right arm because he held a short sword in his right hand, and if the prisoner misbehaved, he just swung it right over and pierced right into the stomach of that prisoner and cut him open 
and he bled to death. Peter is using that description to say, Simon, you are chained to a guard who will kill you if you misbehave. If you don't go to the place of wickedness, you will die. You cannot follow Jesus. You are my prisoner. You cannot get free of your anger. You cannot get free of your ambition. You cannot get free of your lust. You are bound to that guard, and if you try to get away, he'll kill you. Or the jailer, the guard will say, hey, look, just be cool. Don't give me any trouble. I won't hurt you. I'm going to take you to Caesar, and Caesar's going to give you everything you want. But you are a prisoner. But as a prisoner, you'll become a slave, and your master will give you what you want. That's what Peter's saying is happening in Simon's life. Now, he's very clearly identified Simon's sin. Listen to what Simon says. Then Simon, having answered, said, You please pray to the Lord for me that nothing of the things which you have mentioned may come upon me. In other words, hey, I'm not in sin. I'm innocent. I'm just caught. You know, I'm doing my best. I can't do any better. Come on, what do you expect of me? He denies his sin. And this is where we are in the church today, and it's what we face day by day on the radio. It's what we face here. If we deny the wetness of sin, and we follow the lust of our heart, we will be in bondage to that thing, and we will quickly slide down, down, down into total degradation and loss. Now, there are two other examples of similar things happening. You have Peter as he's preaching after Pentecost. And the scriptures say that the men were cut to the heart. And as they're cut to the heart, they say, what must I do to be saved? And Peter says, you must repent. And you will be saved. Then we have Stephen who comes and he preaches and he gives the whole history of the Jewish people. It says they are cut to the heart. And then they begin to gnash their teeth in anger at the confrontation over the sin. So we have repentance coming because of the identification of a man's sin. We have anger coming because of the identification of the sin. And now with Simon, we have a total denial of all sin. You know, I'm doing my best. 
Which of the three do you most follow? Which describes your heart toward Jesus? Quick repentance? Anger? Or just deny that you have any problem and say, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't talk to me about it. Of these three responses, the one that most terrifies me is Simon's response. Because, frankly, it is the most common response. It is a denial that there's a problem. There is pride in my own ability. I have my own sense of well-being. I'm kind of half in the water and half out of the water in a twilight kind of zone. And it's called in the scriptures, lukewarm. And Jesus says, if you continue in that lukewarm condition, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. On our honeymoon, our, my sweetheart got food poisoning. About 2.30 in the morning, she begins to barf. And I had the wonderful privilege of cleaning up. Hard. Jesus says, I'm going to vomit you. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And what makes him sick, what makes him sick with food poisoning is this lukewarm position of not being on fire for Jesus and not being cold toward Jesus, but seeing if there isn't some way that we can work it out so that we have an advantage by following Jesus. Okay, I'm willing to put up with paying tithe. I'm willing to put up with going through all of these rituals. I'm willing to do this and this and this. But in the end, I want something. It's amazing to me how much a man or woman is willing to go through for a small advantage. Can I be very frank with you? I don't want to be Jesus' food poisoning. I don't want to be Jesus' vomit. Is that straight enough? I don't want to make Jesus sick to his stomach. But Simon made Jesus sick to his stomach. Because he thought he could have some advantage by using what Jesus had to gain a blessing for himself. And Simon had no interest 
in the salvation of others. He had no interest in sacrificing himself for the kingdom of God. He had no intention of laying down his life. And I'll tell you how I know that. Not in Scripture, for Scripture no longer speaks about Simon. He's rebuked. He denies that he is a sinner. And he's gone from Scripture. But he's not gone from history. Extra-biblical sources in history tell us that Simon went on to lift up Gnosticism, the teaching of the sinning Christian, and did great damage to the body of Christ. Simon Magus is known as the Gnostic of the New Testament day. He brought in heresy into the body of Christ with his magician's ability, with his ability to speak and communicate. He was enraged by the confrontation with Peter. And he determined that he would counter Peter on every hand. And he did. And extra-biblical sources give us the history of Simon Magus the Gnostic. I don't want to bring damage to the body of Jesus. Just the thought of that breaks my heart. I don't want to bring shame on the name of Jesus. We're called to be totally transferred out of the realm of darkness, out of the realm of sin, into the realm of light, where we dwell in the presence of God. Hebrews, 12th chapter. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Speaking about discipline, verse 11, Hebrews 12, verse 11. Now all discipline for the present does not seem to be joyful, but painful. Peter's words to Simon, had he allowed them to be the painful confrontation of the true heart that was not right with God, instead of pushing it off and denying it and saying, no, 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 that's not where I'm at. I'm okay. If he had not done that, but had suffered the painful rebuke. It says, but painful. Then later it gives back the peaceful fruit of righteousness to the ones having been trained by it. Therefore, you must strengthen the hands having been weak and the knees having been feeble. Do you know what I mean? What the scripture means? Having been weak and knees having been feeble? Going back to your sin. Going back to your anger. Going back to your rage. Going back to your lust. Going back. He's saying strengthen. Strengthen the knees having been feeble and the hands having been weak. Make straight paths for your feet that the lame may not be turned aside, but rather may be healed. Let me say this very clearly to you, please. 
if you block the way of another person from entering into the kingdom of God by your sin, the judgment of God will be so severe on you. There is nothing that will draw a more severe judgment upon your life than to speak and act in ways that block another from coming into conviction of their sin and you're causing them to be eternally lost. Each of you right now stands between a person and the judgment bar of God. Make a list of all the people you know who are still walking in any known sin, you stand between them and the judgment bar of God. And the Lord God of heaven is going to hold you accountable for what influence you have had upon their hearts and their lives. If there's a pond and there are beautiful orange goldfish swimming in that pond. What concept do they have of the world outside of their pond? They can perhaps, once in a while, catch a, a reflection of someone out beyond them. But until that being outside scoops them up with a net out of that filthy water and brings them out into the air, they have no concept of what it is. But if they're brought out into the air, they're going to die. They can't live as fish in the air of heaven. The sinner must die when brought into the presence of God. And the judgment is going to be all of the fish being drawn out of the water and cast into the fire. There must be a transformation so that I can leave the water and live in the air. I must become a new creature in Christ where I put aside all of this foolishness, all of this darkness, where I put it aside, where I see a new universe, a new world. Can a fish see that world? No. He can only catch glimpses as the sun comes up. He sees the brightness. Something's there. That's how it is with sinners. Is it any wonder they go back to their natural environment of eating worms, of being caught on hooks, of being eaten, bludgeoned to death? We must be drawn out and we must be made into new creatures in Christ. He goes on. 
Make straight paths for your feet that the lame may not be turned aside, but rather may be healed. That your parents, that your wife, that your husband, that your work people, they need a straight path. Your friends need a straight path. It's required that you make that straight path that the lame may not be turned aside, but rather may be healed, transformed, recreated. You must pursue peace with all men. That is, the word peace here is not shalom. It's another word. It means prosperity, but it means more than that, tranquility. No crisis. Stop creating crisis. Stop being contrarian. Stop being a troublemaker. Become a man of tranquility and peace. Let the problem be the gospel of Jesus. The confrontation with darkness. You must preserve peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Seeing to it lest anyone falling from the grace of God, lest some root of bitterness grow up to cause trouble, and by this may defile many with sin. What I want you to hear today is that sin is a defiling natural element that all of us were raised in. It seems normal to us. It must become something strange and foreign to us. As we are transferred into the kingdom of light, as we are remade, as we are born from above, we don't go back and try to swim underwater. We'll drown under there. A Christian can no more go back to sin than I can go under the ocean and become a fish. I'll drown. You can't go back and live in that wickedness and expect to survive. We must come out of it, totally out of it, made into a new creature where now we breathe the air of heaven, not the wetness of sin. And now the emphasis is on, okay, as you're being brought out and you become a new creature, what's your impact on others? Are you a stumbling block for others? Do you agree with wicked men? Or do you confront their wickedness with Jesus Christ? Are your friends friends because you swim in the darkness with them? Or are your friends in admiration of your love and peace, kindness, Christ-likeness? Hebrews is very clear. There is always a root of bitterness ready to grow up. And in the Greek, I like it. It's the root of bitterness comes as it's blown up like a balloon. So somebody says something we don't like. 
does something we don't like. Something begins to get puffed up in them. Begin to focus on that. Begin to divide over that issue. We had a vow in our wedding vow between Alexandra and myself that I've never heard anyone else use in their vows. And I can't take credit for it. It was Alexandra who put it in. And then I agreed to it. And that vow was that we would always forgive one another. We would always forgive one another. You understand, when there's forgiveness, there is no blowing up of a root of bitterness. And you would not be surprised if I tell you, we've had to use that several times already. And I expect we'll probably have to use that more. Is there anyone today you need to forgive? Because you've been like a balloon becoming blown up with resentment or anger. Does that need to have the air let out of it? Have you puffed yourself up as somebody? So now you're going to be angry if people don't do what you want them to do? Do you have a root of bitterness in your heart? Because you're not getting what you want to get. People are not giving you what you want them to give you. The writer, Paul, the book of Hebrews is saying, no, let harmony rule. Don't let there be a root of bitterness because that root of bitterness will blow up until finally it explodes and you will defile many people with your sin. Lest anyone be a fornicator or a godless person like Esau, who in exchange for one meal sold his birthright. For you must know that even afterward, desiring to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, although having sought it with tears. Understand, we need to become such radical Christians that we've utterly left the sea of sin behind. We're done with it. We are living in the air and the atmosphere of Jesus Christ. And he alone is our Lord and our Savior. And we don't flip-flop. We don't desire to go back into that wickedness and that darkness. We don't desire the things of the world, the things of the flesh, or the things of the devil. We've done with it. We're finished. It's over. Have you made that decision? Are you done with the devil?